Hello and welcome to episode 104 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Los Angeles. I am Nathan Fox and with me in Washington, D.C. is Ben Olson. How you doing, Ben? Doing great. It's been a couple weeks since we talked. What's new? Um, not a whole lot. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of things that have happened, though, in the legal world. Crazy news, huh? All the time. Um, yeah, I've got on the agenda, we need to talk about uh, some new schools are going to start accepting the GRE, while at least one school will not. Um, we have... I want to do a clarification on some of the dream crushing we did on last episode, or at least I did some dream crushing on the last episode and got a thoughtful email from a listener that I'd like to go through and maybe clarify just a little bit. Uh, We have a hilarious stress bomb email that came out from the LSAC to everyone who's registered for the September test, which I found uh, pretty funny. So we can talk (laughs) about that. And we have our usual uh, stack of listener mail. Anything you want to add to that, or does that sound good? No, that sounds great. Okay. Uh, Remember, you can always uh, subscribe to our email updates at thinkinglsat.com slash blog slash subscribe. You can also email the show help at thinkinglsat.com. And just a friendly reminder, uh, Ben and I are both in business. We teach classes in D.C., San Francisco, and Los Angeles. Uh, Ben in D.C., I teach in San Francisco and L.A., and Ben has a full online program. I have a full online program as well, and we both do private one-on-one tutoring online. Um, You can check out our websites if you're interested in more on that. Uh, Ben is strategyprep.com, and I am foxlsat.com. Okay, Uh, first, this news item. We have an announcement that Georgetown, uh, right in your backyard, Ben, is going to start accepting the GRE for law school admissions starting now, huh? 2018 admission cycle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Northwestern also announced that they will start accepting the GRE, but not until 2019. And we have uh, Penn came out and said that they are not going to uh, accept the GRE. They're going to wait and see how things shake out. So I saw the... Oh, yeah, go ahead. What do you think about all that? Uh, Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I was actually a little surprised by uh, Penn's uh, stance, but also not totally surprised, I guess. Uh, But it did surprise me when I first saw the article. I didn't end up reading it, did you? Uh, No. (laughs) Yeah, I told my class, I was like, yeah, Penn's not accepting the the GRE. And they're like, why? And I'm like, I don't know. I actually didn't get to reading it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, it's a non-announcement anyway, right? The, to say we're not accepting the GRE, they could e- easily just change their mind tomorrow and start accepting the GRE. So um, I don't really know how permanent that policy announcement has to be. That's true. I guess I was surprised because I feel like um, it seems to, it seems like if I were running a school, I'd be racing to allow people to apply with the GRE so you can get more applicants. Yeah, well, you're smarter than these people, Ben. I mean, (laughs) like these big bureaucracies just move very slowly. You're a small business person. You've been in business for yourself for a long time. These are a bunch of professors and lawyers and, you know, people that just don't do anything quickly. So Mm -hmm. you're, you're smart and you realize that accepting the GRE makes all the sense in the world for these law schools. 
Um, uh, who knows who, why the bureaucrats do what the bureaucrats do, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, did you read this uh, article from Law.com uh, where uh, Kelly Testy made some comments about the GRE? Uh, so I started to read it, and I couldn't finish it. Yeah, the so. article is uh, titled LSAT Leader Urges Caution in Law School's Use of GRE. And this is from the new LSAC, what is she, the president of LSAC, mm-hmm. Kelly mm-hmm. Testy? Yep. Yeah. Um, she has uh, expressed some you know, very grave skepticism about whether the GRE is going to really do as good of a job as the LSAT does in uh in, in making sure that we have fine, qualified applicants for law school. Um, I laughed out loud at one of the things she said. It was just so ridiculous. Um, it was like an interview, the format of the article. We'll post it on the website, thinkinglsat.com, uh, in our show notes. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> the, she got asked a question. It's like an inter- interview format, this article. And she got asked the question how the uh, LSAT and GRE are different. And mm. she pointed out that analytical reasoning is 25% of the LSAT and 0% of the GRE. Whoa. And, and then, because analytical reasoning, right? Yeah. Okay. And she said, uh, and she said for the GRE, 25%, uh, sorry, sorry. She said, <laughs> she pointed out that half of the GRE, uh, quantitative skills, like algebra and geometry, she pointed out that that's 50% of the test. Mm-hmm. And this interviewer from law.com um, helpfully, you know, just tells her, uh, says, it's a bit hard to see how algebra and geometry come into play in law school. And Testy says, I think most people would agree with that. Uh, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And oh, dear. And she says, uh, yeah. Yeah, she's 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 pointing out that financial literacy might be useful, which has nothing to do with the LSAT. There's absolutely nothing about financial literacy on the LSAT, so I don't really know yeah. how that's relevant. I guess that was just an aside. But then she says that's not algebra and geometry. And um yeah, but you know what? It's also not logic games. Yeah. Uh the when when she says analytical reasoning, that's the logic games. Yeah, and the logic games have absolutely nothing to do with law school or legal practice. Well, I tend to think of—I mean, I guess I don't know for sure—but I tend to think of analytical analytical reasoning as much broader than the logic games too. So, like, if you can if you can uh, do well in math, then to me that suggests you have the chops to do well with analytical reasoning. Like. I- <laughs> I think there's a that's a no brainer. I mean, <laughs> one of the reasons why I'm good at logic games and one of the reasons why you're good at logic games is that we're both good at math. Yeah. <laughs> We've always been good at math. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, people who can kill the GRE are going to also kill the analytical reasoning on the logic on the LSAT, which is just mm-hmm. logic games. So this yeah. is just so so goofy to be saying, you know, to be pointing to analytical reasoning as the reason why LSAT is better than the GRE is yeah. uh that's either just a lie, you know, or it's just foolish because there's no way that the logic games do a better. I mean, and now notice I am arguing against my own financial well-being right now. 
Yeah. I, I, have, I have only an LSAT business, but I, there's no way that that's a supportable position. Yeah. So I'm sorry. I'm on the side of uh, truth. And I thought that was just silly. Well, even if there is some sort of substantive difference between what the GRE is testing and what the LSAT is testing, and, you know, there are some differences because some people will find one test to be easier or harder than the other. But uh, even so, right, like one of the goals of law school, I feel like, is to prepare lawyers for a diverse array of legal practices. And some people are going to go into areas of law that demand uh, a serious understanding of math. I mean, think about antitrust law, right? You really have to get into the economics and the uh, econometrics of what's going on. And if you don't understand that, then you're not really a lawyer who can help out in those situations. Um, you really d- would depend on others. And I just feel like there are so many areas of law that deal with complicated mathematical uh, situations and problems and challenges that if 25% of your class came to you through the GRE because they did well on the GRE and are good at math and uh, have a more science-based you know, based background, what, that seems like a good thing, right? Like You'd be putting out better antitrust lawyers, better tax lawyers, better anything that has to do with financial. Do you think lawyers don't argue about money? <laughs> I mean, what, what are you it's, it's not you don't want lawyers to be good at math anyway algebra and geometry it's let's be honest it's kind of a competition this whole thing is about is about how bright are you how hard of a worker are you mm-hmm. and getting good at logic games and getting good at algebra and geometry there's not a huge difference in that it's just a proxy for exactly can you dig into somewhat difficult mental mental gymnastics and get out of it with uh without losing yourself (laughs) yeah i'm talking myself out of having a business here but if if you're a law school and you're listening to this take my opinion as an lsat professional for 11 years and also someone who took the gre and the gmat both and I scored 99th percentile on all the all of the above. And there is no way that the GRE is not going to be uh, as good or at least reasonably close to as good as the LSAT. Um, if you were going to talk about why the LSAT's different and better, I think you should be talking about logical reasoning. Mm-hmm. Not analytical yeah. reasoning, but logical yeah. reasoning. Logical reasoning yeah. is half the LSAT and it is arguments. It's a, it, it is arguing and it's an intense test of English. And I, maybe that's why she can't, maybe that's why Testy can't do it. Cause she starts sounding racist. If she says the LSAT is an intense test of English, mm. maybe that's what's going on. I don't know. Huh. You, you know, cause they, that's one thing they're never honest about. They're never honest that like, Hey, you got to be really, really good at English. <laughs> you're yeah. going to have a hard time in law school if you're not. And you're going to have, so you're going to have, and the LSAT, I think the LSAT's got to be the stiffest test of English that there is, right? Yeah. Well, and that's <laughs> one thing I, t- I talk about a lot when, when we go into logical reasoning or reading comp, I'm like, this is actually a really good test for seeing how good you can read and understand things. And if you're not doing well on it, then it's an opportunity to get better at that before you go into law school and have to do that on a daily basis if you want to succeed. 
Yeah, and before you start paying fifty thousand dollars a year to to be learning <laughs> English, you know, you really don't yeah. want to be struggling with your vocabulary when you're in law school. That's a bad mm-hmm. time to be uh, st- to be struggling with with vocabulary. Well, the just, more not I've, just vocabulary, but also like syntax, right? And trying to yeah, totally. deconstruct really um, poorly constructed sentences and translating into simple sentences that are an accurate translation, right? That's that's the problem so many people have is they take a sentence and they translate it and you're like, mm, that's not exactly what that means and now you're going down the wrong path. Or yeah, they don't translate totally. it at all. Yeah. But anyways. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So just, yeah, it's right. Students uh, students that are struggling, students that are at you know, 150 or, or below, frequently just read something and, and they think it means one thing and it's like, nope. It does mm-hmm. not mean that <laughs> those words in that order do not mean what you think they mean. Yeah. Sorry. Um, and that's really hard to teach and really hard to prepare for. I, I don't know. Um, okay. Well, anything more about this? It seems to me almost inevitable unless like the ABA steps in and says they, that they're not going to allow this it seems kind of inevitable that more of at least the top schools are going to follow suit and start accepting the GRE. Yeah. I would. Uh, John Roberts going to accept the GRE? <laughs> uh, I don't see a problem with that. Yeah. I. Uh, you're already starting to sound like an administrator with that <laughs> non-statement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Sorry. There we go. There we go. It's on record. John Roberts is now the fifth law school that's going to be accepting the GRE. Excellent. Yeah, that's funny. Okay. Um, we let's see. Moving down the agenda here, uh, we have our smallest donation ever. Yep. Annalisa donated a dollar seventy. At first, I was like, "What? <laughs> I guess this is a one seventy, though. Maybe she got a one seventy. I don't know. Except for it's not because I have. She's in my online class right oh, now. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, right. yeah. And so fill us in. <laughs> well, I don't know. I didn't ask her about the one dollar and seventy cent donation, uh, but she's been uh, emailing me questions and stuff. And so while we were talking about her, but thank you, Annalisa, for your $1 and 70 yes, cent donation. Yes, we'll, take, we'll take anything above 30 cents uh, at 30 cents. We're essentially losing money because it costs 30 cents per transaction. Plus uh, <laughs> the fee that they take out. So this one, seven, this dollar 70 is like, probably like a dollar 25. <laughs> if you hate us, you could donate less than 30 cents and put us out of business. Yeah. Um, So Annalisa asks a quick quick question. She says, I know you've said on the podcast that law schools only look at the top score for the U.S. news rankings, but some of the top schools say that students, quote, need only take the LSAT once, end quote. What gives? Well, that, speaking of uh, administrator sounding sentences, um, that is <laughs> that is one right there. Need only take the LSAT once means you only have to take the LSAT once. Yes, that is true. Uh, because you're required to take the LSAT, you only have to take it once to get a score. But that doesn't say anything about whether you should only take it once or whether... <laughs> You know, <laughs> there's a problem with you taking it more than once. Yeah, it's a perfect LSAT lesson. The word only indicates a necessary condition. Yep. And here, here they even say need only take the LSAT mm-hmm. once. But that's not the same thing as just saying, hey, you should only take it once. This is saying 
it is it is um, you 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 do need to take it once. <laughs> That's what that says. You need mm-hmm. to take it once, uh, and it does not say that you shouldn't take it more than once. Yeah. Uh, this is a necessary condition. That's all that means. Uh, yeah, it's administrator speak. It doesn't mean shit. It means we require the LSAT for admission. <laughs> That's what it means. You know, I have heard uh, some students who go to like these panels and um, these uh, law school representatives go to the panel and they talk about the LSAT and taking it multiple times and things like that. And I've heard several students tell me that when they listen to the panel, uh, the panel agreed that you should only take the LSAT once. And I was like, well, wait, who, who's on this panel? Like, w- yeah. what representatives are you talking about? And in some cases, uh, they did have reps from pretty big schools, including, um, well, I can't remember which school is now, but like Chicago or, or Cornell or whatever. And I was like, oh, wow, I, that's really surprising. But I, I think those comments still need to be taken in light of the fact that although – a 170 by itself might be a little bit better than a 170 along with a 165 because it just looks cleaner and nicer and whatever. If you get a 165 and you have the potential to get a 170, then you absolutely have to take it again. It's going to be better to apply (laughs) with a 165 and a 170 than to apply with a 165 by itself, right? Like, so I kind of feel like it's a moot point at the end of the day yeah there's like what is that there's there's a name for that it's like a there is like a selection some sort of a of a post hoc um kind of a rationalization or there's there's some bad logic going on there right where it's like sure of course if if all else is equal and you can get your highest score on your first attempt then do it that way yeah uh but if you, uh, but if not, then I'm not. <laughs> That's not. <laughs> that is, uh, yeah. You you should. I think students should plan on taking it multiple times. Uh, hope for the best and plan for the worst, yeah. which is you're fully prepared the first time you sit down to take the test, or awful close to fully yep. prepared, right? And then totally plan on taking it again if you don't achieve the score that demonstrates your potential. Yep. Uh, And your potential will be indicated by whatever your practice test scores say. So it's not like fantasy, take it a million times and just hope to get lucky. It's uh, prep a lot. Improve your pra- your practice test scores a lot, like by at least ten points from wherever you started, and then when you take the test, get a score that matches all of those practice test scores. But if you score lower on your actual test, yeah, you would be an idiot not to take it again. That's such a you're such a sucker to take it again. At the panels, maybe they say this because they're they don't want to intimidate people. Maybe they're like, oh no, you should only take it once because they want to be like just. Get it over with. Apply as soon as you can. Let us charge you full tuition. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, just get in. Just get in. We we just want your application as soon as possible. That's all they yeah. care about. Yeah, maybe so. Get it in. We we want to see an application rather than an applicant an applicant who perpetually delays for in an effort to get the perfect score and thus never ends up applying. We might never get your money if you do it yeah. that way. 
So we would prefer that you only take it. Oh, you've taken it once and you have a, a mediocre score. That's Let us fine. Let's take a look. We'll, we'll, still, <laughs> we'll absolutely take a look. And if you're in the ballpark, we would love to take your yeah. money. I I'm sorry, but that's the that's the truth. By the um, way, I think um, what you were just talking about taking the LSAT uh, plan on taking it a couple times is is really good advice because. A lot of people want to know, like, hey, I'm going to take the test in, say, September, and I'm getting close to the score I want or the the score range that I want, but I don't know if I'll get there by September, so should I just put it off until December? And I'm always telling them, like, look, just keep your slot in the September test, and if you end up getting close enough, go ahead and take it. And even... Even if you're just close, but you don't get end up getting the score you want, by taking it in September and getting that experience, I think you're all the more likely to nail it in December because you, now you're going into the December LSAT with the experience of taking it officially in September. And you know, if you don't get close, then withdraw by midnight the night before, and then there'll be no record that you even signed up. But at least you had that option. And sometimes I think people are worried about the money, but it's sort of like this is a this is a drop in the bucket for everything that's that's going to come after you take the test in September and then maybe again in December. Um, the whole application process is expensive and law school itself is extraordinarily expensive. So um, it just seems like a smart option to keep the September test open. And if you end up taking it but need to take it again, so what? Now you have that experience that a lot of other test takers in December won't have. Yeah, 100%. I I love the idea of thinking about your existing registration. If you've already registered, you have an option to take the test. And you should keep that option all the way up until the final week before the test. You should pretend like you're going to take it. You should keep working. You should prep hard for the test. And then if your scores are not where you need them to be, you can just go ahead and withdraw. You lose 180 bucks, but so what? You've already paid the 180 bucks. And even if you change your test date, you're only going to get what half of it back or something. Cause they charge you another half of it to change your test yeah. date. So, <clears throat> um, $180 is one, one thousandth of the amount that law school is going to cost you. And, um, or, you know, maybe less than one, one thousandth of what law school is going to cost you. And you should go ahead and just make that investment. No big deal. I mean, I even think if you're, you know, if you say you're just starting and you're thinking about December and you take a practice test and that practice test is within 10 or 15 points of where you think you need to be, uh, by December, go ahead and register, you know, and just use that as additional motivation. Um, purchase that option for yourself to take the test in December at a testing center, hopefully of your choosing. And you can wait all the way up until the very last minute, not the last minute, but the day before, um, to cancel, to withdraw if you need to withdraw and people, you, it does not show up on your record at all. Withdrawing does not show up on your record. It's it's as if you were never registered to take the test. Yeah. So there's no reason not to do that. You don't have to panic and you don't have to decide now. You can wait until the final week before the test. Yeah. Okay. Um. So I'd like to get into this. I, I got this email yesterday and I bumped it up to the top of the agenda. This came straight to me because I I think I do a little harsher version of dream crushing than you usually do, Ben. <laughs> um, so I'll read it and then 
we can we can kick it around a little bit but it's okay. um mm-hmm. it says dear nathan uh i'm a huge fan of your podcast and i'm currently studying for the lsat which i plan to take this fall i just graduated with a degree in international business i'm writing to you because of your opinions on going to law school to quote change the world i found your and ben's discussion in episode one of the podcast to be particularly disheartening mm, 101 right yeah, 101. I thought it was last episode, but it was it's it's a couple ago. Okay. That's fine. Sorry, you just said um, episode 1. So. <laughs> oh, episode 101. Yeah. Yeah. Uh first of all, you are talking to future law students on your podcast and your whole profession is about law school. How could you be deterring students to attend law school? <clears throat> The fact that you are dissuading people from doing the very thing that you are making money from is concerning to me. I have taken a lot of advice from the podcast and have learned a ton of study tips. Therefore, I respect your opinion and would like to hear what you have to say about this matter. Um, so I'll just respond to that question. How could I be deterring students uh, from attending law school? And the answer is I would not be able to sleep at night if I did not do that. I, I, I do not think so many people I've done this for a long time. I've been teaching LSAT for 11 years and uh, a significant portion of the students who come to me having been to law school myself and knowing, um, hundreds of lawyers, I, I would say there's a, a serious chunk of people like a third, at least of the people who come and take a class from me. I don't think they probably are going to be successful in law. Now I can't crush anyone's dreams individually, but I do know that like half the people who go to law school never end up practicing law and you don't get your money back. If you don't end up practicing law, you don't get your money back if you don't pass the bar exam. So I do make a a very good living doing this. And yes, I am arguing against my own self-interest, but I can't in good conscience not say to people that, I, that I am skeptical of your chances of being a successful lawyer. So I'm not saying this to anyone individually. I'm just saying, I think there are a lot of people with dreams that are much bigger than whatever the eventual reality is going to turn out to be. And this is not a problem if you can do it without debt, if you can get a scholarship or if someone else is paying for it, then it's not that big of a deal. But the debt that you accumulate in law school is crushing. And I just don't want people ruining their entire financial future by going to law school without a credible path toward paying the money back. You have anything you want to add to that, Ben? Uh, no, I agree completely. Well, I guess I have one thing. I, I read this email and I was confused by this sentence. It says, the fact that you are dissuading people from doing the very thing that you are making money from is concerning to me. I I don't – the this sentence is concerning to me because I don't understand what this listener wants. Like do you want us to – like the opposite would be that we would be encouraging people to do the very thing that we are making money from, <laughs> which seems yeah. like the definition of suspicion. Right, like when you go to yeah. the barber and you say, "Should I get a haircut?" and they're like, "Yep, definitely should." You're like, "Well, are you saying that because you make money when I get a haircut, or are you saying that because I really need a haircut?" 
And so <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't understand. The opposite of this sentence doesn't make doesn't seem like a better I, thing to me. So I can I help her? Let me help okay. her out. I I have a more generous interpretation. I that sentence also bumped me. Like I thought she was, you know, I thought it was like sort of attacking mm-hmm. us for for taking this mm-hmm. stance. Like, how could you possibly do that? But I don't think that's what okay. she meant. I think what she meant is, wow, the very people who would be making money off of me if I decided to jump in and take an LSAT class are telling me maybe I don't need that. Maybe this is a bad idea. Mm. And so now I am concerned about my idea. Oh, that's what I yeah, think she I'm means. Sorry. I, that makes sense. In that case, um, yeah. yeah, I think that that you should be concerned because it's uh, like you just said, it's a very expensive endeavor and not one that many sh- people should be taking. Uh, it is an endeavor that some people should be taking. And as we've said, I think many times before, if you're that person, then we want to help you. Uh, if you're not that person, then we want to help you figure that out because there are so many other options if this is not for you and you just don't know that yet. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so we can talk to you about it. We can, you know, on the show, we can explain what the realities are of being of, of law school and of being lawyers. It, if you do decide that you want to give the LSAT, the LSAT a full Did shot. Did you just call it the LSAT? Because that would be interesting. The LSAT. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, if you want to take a shot at the LSAT to see if, you know, to see if you can cut it, we will help you prep, you know, and, and some people, if you start out at like a 140, um, yeah, it's, it's conceivable that you could make it to 160 and we would love to help you do that. But if you start at 140 and you only end up at 150 and that's your best that you can possibly do on the LSAT, then I'm sorry, but I'm just going to be very skeptical at, at what you're going to really be able to achieve in law. Yeah. And there are exceptions, right? You might come and say, look, I'm planning to go to this law school. They're going to give me this much money, which is not much, but I know exactly what I'm going to do when I graduate. Then I'd be like, dude, you know what you're getting into? Go for yeah. it. But most people don't. They just have some sort of right. vague notion that once they get in, everything will fall into place. And it's right. the exact opposite. And the law schools are perfectly happy to make you think that that's what's going to happen. You know, they're going to show you the pictures of people wearing suits and like, oh, you're going to be one of these people yeah. as soon as you graduate. And it's like bullshit. I, and I, I mean, part of the reason why I'm so vocal about it is that I am a first generation college student. I had nobody in my life who could advise me about what I was getting into. The law schools want your money. And I foolishly, without any plan, without knowing any lawyers, without having any credible path to, to making it in the legal world, I signed my name. And next thing you know, $50,000 is going to Hastings every year. And uh, I graduated ooh, with a JD and no path to being a lawyer. I was never on the path to being a lawyer. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not cut out for that. That's not a good, that's not a good plan for me. Mm-hmm. I don't have the temperament for it. I don't have the interest in it. It's just not a good place for me to be. So I shouldn't have gone. And so I, I really try to, to, I, I mean, it's not so much that I'm trying to talk you out of it really as it, as is, I just want to make sure you know, you have a plan. So I want you to make your plan 
and then I'll do everything I can to help you if, if you have a plan. But the problem is that so many people are just so incredibly naive. Yeah. Okay. One more paragraph here in Miriam's uh, very thoughtful email. It says, I want to go to law school to practice in the public interest area. Specifically, I would like to do international law. Hmm. Already there, I'm like, what is that? Yeah. I don't know what international law is. I've been to law school. I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know any international lawyers, I don't think. I don't know what that means. Um, I do not want to go practice at a big firm after law school. Okay. Um, That's like the only way to make money by going to law school is to practice at a big firm. So, okay. So you're saying you're not doing it for the money. That's fine. Then don't pay a lot of money. If you're not in, if you're not into it to make money, then you should definitely not pay a lot of money. Uh, here, continuing with the email, you make it seem as if it is not possible. And I would like to know if I'm being too optimistic, you said people quote, get their dreams crushed, which makes me really question if my desires are possible. I wouldn't say I'm going to law school to change the world, but I do want to do something in public interest. You mentioned that people who write about public interest in their personal statements are liars. <laughs> I, I need to know more about this and ultimately the realities of law school and what it is really like. Best, Miriam. Um, okay, so the whole liars thing, I'm sure that that sounds like a joke that I said. I don't mean that people are liars who say that they want to work in public interest. What I But I do think that many, many people go to law school with these fantasies about working in public interest slash international law slash, you know, I don't want to work in a big firm and, oh, I don't know, I don't want to be a litigator. I want to do something in public interest. But they don't, they can't name a single lawyer who has this fantasy life that they're thinking about. Yeah, to me, public interest is way too vague. Exactly. It's like, do you have a specific cause that you are interested in? Are you interested in immigration? And even then, what aspects of immigration are you interested in? And what do you know about it? Um, Are you interested in trying to get, you know, I wish I knew more about public interest, but like uh, issues that face, you know, uh, lower income families when they have legal issues and they don't know where to turn. Are you planning to get involved with that? I mean, she says that she's interested in public interest generally, and that she would specifically like to do international law. When I think of international law, I'm thinking about uh, large corporations. I'm thinking about multinational corporations that have to do business internationally. I'm thinking about the interactions between countries like uh, international law is loosely defined by how countries have interacted with each other in the past and to the point where it becomes a, quote, law. It's a little loosely defined because there is no, you know, global constitution, so to speak. <laughs> but uh, I'm really – I mean this is maybe just my ignorance, but I'm really having trouble seeing how someone would do public interest in the international law arena if someone knows anything more about international law, including Miriam, I'd love to hear it. But this to me just sounds like the classic, I want to go do good, but I don't know what that good is. Yep. So far from everything Miriam, uh, Mar- Miriam has said, 
I 100% believe in her earnestness. You know, I, I don't doubt her. I don't doubt that she wants to do good. I just haven't heard a shred of a reasonable plan. Mm-hmm. What, what, what exactly is it that you want to do? Who, who is it that you're going to help? And what kind of a, what kind of job is that? Immigration is a perfect example of people like just, I want to do immigration law mm-hmm. because I feel so sad for these refugees. Yeah. And it's like, that's awesome. Except for what job is that? Who is going to pay you? How yeah. are you going to do that? Yeah. What, what do you mean? And what happens a lot with people who, even if they do specialize in immigration, they end up working for a firm that is helping, um, helping tech companies immig- uh, get yeah. get you engineers from Google India. <laughs> and yeah. you work on H-1B visas or whatever those visas are. Right, which is like a super formulaic, just like kind of a paperwork sort of a job, you know, like yeah. just cranking out those applications. And if that's really what you meant, but I just don't think that's what people mean when they say they want to do immigration law. No. It's just that that's what immigration lawyers do. Yeah, because a lot of these people are not paying. So you're working through some nonprofit organization, which is not going to pay you very much. They might get some funding from some philanthropist or someone else who wants to invest money into this organization. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, they can't pay you very much. And so sometimes uh, people who are doing the most when it comes to immigration or helping individuals in the way some people might be thinking is that they will go work for a big law firm. And then part of their pro bono hours is to go and help with an immigration case or something like that. But that's only a sliver of the vast majority of your time. Right. (sighs) Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know that I want to add any, well, I just, Miriam, your path forward is you need to be able to name a lawyer whose career you can credibly replicate by going to law school. So, I mean, you know who they are, you know what they do every day. That's exactly what you want to do. You know roughly how much money they make, you know how many hours they work, you know how hard it was for them to get their job, you know where they went to law school, and you're going to go to that law school or that kind of law school, and you are going to be able to step into that sort of a job. Yeah. Um, And if you can't do all of that, then I just, I don't really think you have done the due diligence yet. I just want to protect you from $150,000, $200,000 lifetime crushing debt. <laughs> yeah. So that's why we say it, um, because we've both been very fortunate. But um, yeah, we, we're trying to, we're not just trying to make money. Uh, it'd be really easy to lie to you about how successful you're going to be a- a- after law school. And boring. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just not. I'm not interested in in doing that, you know. Yeah. If, if you told me, "Oh, you'll make five times as much money," um, I would not accept. I wouldn't do it. I can't. I couldn't do it. Yeah. Anyway, um, why don't you talk about this next uh, item on the agenda? Sure. So uh, recently, on August 13th, uh, in the Wall Street Journal, there was an article that came out. They said that studies are usually bunk study shows. (laughs) So a little ironic there, but basically uh, someone conducted a study and they went back and they looked at um, 
a lot of studies and tried to figure out what percentage of them have been repeated, right? Like the idea behind a study is that you do it, you draw some conclusions, and then you say, hey, uh, this must be true or whatever. And other people come along and they, they repeat the study and they get the same results. If they can't repeat them, then maybe there was something wrong with your study. Maybe you did not discover some hidden gem of truth. And so the whole point of this uh, article is that this study went and looked at a lot of studies. And I can't remember the numbers now, of course, but it was high. It was like 70% or 40% of all studies, uh, not all studies, but I guess peer-reviewed studies or something like that were not repeatable. And so a lot of studies that get circulated in the media and generate obviously clickbait <laughs> um, were not repeatable and thus probably not true. And so the point of this article is that studies are usually bunk. Uh, I guess by saying usually, maybe it was 70%. But in any case, um, the thing that I thought was interesting was when I finished uh, – reading this article, the article did talk about correlation causation and how correlation does not prove causation. So that's certainly relevant to the LSAT. But yeah. someone in the comments, and we'll put this link in the show notes, but someone had uh, put a link to a website of someone who had uh, who has listed a bunch of spurious correlations. And they're kind of funny. So they're like correlations between, between things that obviously have no connection to each other, but they are correlated. Therefore, you could in theory, conclude that one is causing the other, but you'd obviously know that they're not. And therefore, uh, it just kind of goes to show that correlation does not prove causation. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. we'll have both of those links in the show notes. That sounds like uh, entertaining reading for LSAT students who want to deepen their understanding of correlation causation problems. Yeah, there is some uh, political messages in this Wall Street Journal article, but I'm not so interested in that. I'm more just interested in these spurious correlations. So, Okay, cool. Uh, what's this next one? Um, oh, yeah. So a few uh, episodes ago, we talked about an article. I think it was in the New York Times about how there's this increasing problem with uh, substance abuse among lawyers, right? Well, uh, <laughs> in response to this increasing abuse of substance abuse or, yeah, of substances or whatever, uh, the ABA has come up with a comprehensive set of new recommendations and regulations about how lawyers should be uh, treated and helped. I just thought it was funny that – their solution to this problem was a new set of recommendations and regulations. It's just like so lawyerly, right? Like here we're going to come up with some rules as opposed to let's talk about the culture or something like that, right? So many times I think the solution to these problems has much more to do with our shared values, not necessarily a new set of regulations. Yeah. Um Wow. What were the recommendations? Did you look at oh, it? Oh, I just I, – I couldn't uh, finish the article again. Like I, all this lawyerly stuff from LSAC, from uh, President Testy, and just the ABA is so mind-numbing to me. It's, it just shows why I didn't become a lawyer. But 
I would just kill myself so hard if I was a lawyer. There's no way, dude. There's no way. Like every once in a while, I do think about it, that what would happen if the LSAT just blew up and it was gone and I couldn't be an LSAT teacher anymore? What would I do? And, you know, I I could certainly be a lawyer. Um, if If I wanted to, I could probably be a good lawyer, except that I would kill myself within the first, like, two minutes uh, there's just no way i could handle the the life and the the just constant butting heads and the constant just documentation and oh, rules and regulations and it's just seems like such a miserable life to me yeah um i think the worst i mean let's be honest the, the reason why lawyer culture sucks is that Generally, if you're talking to a lawyer, it's because there's some bad shit happened. Like yeah. you're it's you hate someone if you're talking to a, if if you're if there's lawyers in the room, there's conflict going on and there's going to be a winner and a loser in this conflict and it's just the worst day of your life. Yeah. It, if you're if you're ever even talking to a lawyer. I've said this on the show I think before. I got deposed one time and it was seriously one of the worst you experiences of my entire life. I don't think yeah, you told yeah. Me that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a long story. It doesn't. Okay. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. The details. Just, yeah, we won't talk about the details. Here. No, the details don't matter at all. <laughs> it was just. But yeah, I mean, it, it was like an afternoon in San Francisco, and just sitting there with the lawyer asking. I mean, my lawyers were there. The opposing counsel was there, and the, it was just like the same question. 20 times they're just trying to get you to say what they want maybe trying to get you to slip up and then i've got like you know my not scripted but like i know what i'm supposed to be doing in there because i'm prepared for the deposition now you can't be scripted for the deposition you can be prepared for the deposition fuck off it's all the same it's the same thing like you it's like if you just know everybody knows exactly what everybody's going to say and you just sit there and do that for four hours yeah and it's like politics right oh oh just the worst anyway i mean i think this is like oh you don't think that's part of the problem (laughs) why why lawyers are are having drug and alcohol problems and suicide problems and everything else yeah um yeah anyway there are people who are just cut out for it you know there are a lot of people who are cut out for it yeah and if you're listening to the show and you know that that's you that you can handle it then good for you great kick ass on the lsat and let's let's do this but uh, for everybody else, you know, if you've got an inkling of some other stuff that you might like to do with your life, <laughs> e- please, please do that. Yeah. Um, okay. This one, it was funny. This, this also got vaulted to uh, like the top of the agenda because it was so hilarious. Um, this email is coming from Rob and it's a forwarded Rob is registered for the September LSAT. And it's a, it's from LSAC underscore alert at LSAC.org. <laughs> Why do they always funny. have to do that? It's like LSAT, L, digital, what was it? www.digitallsat.lsac.org. Like everything is yeah. just like so long. Seems like this could just be from alert at LSAC.org. Yeah, alert or help. Yeah. Or it could just be from <laughs> oh, they would never say LSAC. Help at lsac.org or something. But instead it's from lsac underscore alert at lsac.org. And the subject line is all caps. And it says it's a run on. And it all caps. It says urgent. Don't be turned away from the September LSAT. (laughs) 
so Rob received this at 9.54 a.m. on a Friday morning. Can you imagine all of the stressed out LSAT students out there? I don't think I don't think LSAT students need to be stressed out, by the way. I mean, I don't think that helps anything. But LSAT students are working hard. It's a high stakes test. They're very engaged, right? They're mm-hmm. they're like really invested in this. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine opening your email and getting an email from the LSAC that said, like you're busy, right? You're working, you got all kinds of stuff on your plate. <laughs> and you look in your inbox and you see urgent don't be turned away from the September LSAT. <laughs> It's like, whoa. In all caps, dude. Yeah. There's no colon between the urgent. There's no colon between urgent and don't. There's no comma. There's no anything. Yeah. It's just one run on urgent. Don't be turned away from the September LSAT in 100% all caps. And then the email is to all September 2017 LSAT registrants. We're asking for you to review your photograph that you uploaded when you registered for the LSAT and blah, blah, blah. It, make sure that you meet the photo ticket photo requirements and blah, blah, blah. And the photo upload deadline is August 22. <laughs> so by the way, this was 11 days before the deadline. Yeah. By the way, this was also, I'm sure, part of the when when you registered, you already uploaded a photo anyway. Yeah. Or maybe you don't have to do it. Do you do it when you register now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, when you registered. So these people have already uploaded a photograph. Yeah. They could have had pl- plenty of opportunities to tell them that they that these you know the photo photos have to meet these ticket photo requirements. Yeah. <laughs> It sounds like a scam, right? It looks like, oh, I'm going to go to the It looks like LSAT. it came from Nigeria, yeah. dude. <laughs> if anyone's asking for your LSAT registration, don't give it to them. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. I wonder if these new ABA requirements about the um, well-being of lawyers, it should apply to emails that you get from the LSAC. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I, I want to know who sent this. I want to know what's going on. What is? What are you doing? Well, Why it, are you doing this to my students? Well, the crazy thing, too, here is that, you know, we, we complain about long emails on the show, but this is way longer than it even needs to be, right? The email itself yeah. also sucks. Yeah, yeah, so it's like, you're like, what's going on with this subject line? Then you have to, like, parse through this, what I think is too long. If they really want people to act quickly... They they need to make this a three sentence email. Dear so and so, please check your photo to make sure that it's legit, <laughs> right? Or valid here's the for, link. Yeah, here's the link. <laughs> Thank you. And then you would get more <laughs> click throughs because people would be like, oh, I, I completely understand what I need to do with this email now, so I will click the button. You know, you could yeah, even please. say in there like deadline, deadline colon August twenty second. Or August 21st or whatever, you know? Please check your photo. You won't be allowed to take the test if your photo doesn't meet the requirements. And you could have links just in there. Yep. Link to please check your photo. Link to the requirements. Mm -hmm. And then the deadline. This has bold. It has all caps. It has crazy weird formatting paragraphs are weird. It's got... (laughs) What? I, I I love the note at the end. Please note. The photo upload deadline, which is all caps, uh, caps is uh, or capitalized, 
August 22nd, blah, blah, blah. After that, comma, no uploads or changes may be made. That is the definition of a deadline. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't need to say please note there. <laughs> you don't need to say, oh, oh my God. Oh, my God. It, you know, it's I, I don't know what you're doing. Why? Hey, stop doing this to my students. <laughs> Leave my students alone. My students are working hard. They are registered for the test. They already checked the goddamn photo. And even if you want them to double check it, you could say it nicer than this. Yeah. What are you doing? They're, it's like trying to make it stressful. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, hey, I'm. There, you know I'm, what? They're I'm, stressed out. They're getting they're getting encroached yeah, on by the yeah, GRE. That's true. <laughs> well, okay. Let's be honest. I, I they're doing the best they can. I mean, they're they're not trying to be villains. They're acting like villains, but they're not trying to be villains. They don't think that they're the villains of the movie. No, they're trying to be helpful. They are trying to do their job. I understand that they are trying to do the best they can. It's just that the best they can is not very good right now. No. So hopefully, some competition from the GRE will kick them in the ass and, and get them to be a little more friendly. You Are you kidding me? You want to know, know why people are stressed out and declining, you know, numbers or whatever? It's because of shit like this. Yeah. Ugh. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, next one. Um, we got a... Uh, oh, yeah. I wanted to ask Ben this question because this is a question that I get a lot. Yeah. Um, I get emails where people are trying to pre-prep before they take a test. Yep. And I always just tell people, hey, just take a test and that's your first step. So I want to know if, Ben, if you would ever advise someone not to take a cold diagnostic. Can you think of a situation where you would be like, yeah, actually you should do some prep before you take your test? I can't think of any situation. And I get the same calls all the time. People sign up for the class or they're thinking about signing up for the class and they they call me up and they say, hey, Ben, I saw that the first thing that you do in your class is take a diagnostic exam, uh, but I don't think I'm going to be ready because I've never studied for the LSAT before. And I'm like, yep, no one like, half the class has never done anything with the LSAT before either. Yeah, but I'd really like to prepare first. So I think I'm going to skip that. I'm going to come to the first lesson. Ugh, and what? That, and I'm like, <laughs> no. No, you are not allowed to take the class if you do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So then I say, sometimes I try to get into like, well, what's going on here? Why, why not just go take it? Like, just take it, see what you get, know where you're at, make some mistakes, learn from those mistakes. And, you know, in a lot of these cases, I think there's this underlying fear. And right, when they admit that, um, this is a lot of times they don't, but, uh, when they admit that, I'm like, you know what, that's actually all the more reason why you need to come and take yeah. it because there's nothing to fear. And the only way to get over that fear is to dive in. Yep. Yep. Get on with it. Yeah. Get on with it. Be realistic. Get on with it. Uh, get a real LSAT test. You can Google June, 2007 LSAT pop right up, print it out. Time yourself, 35 minutes per oh, section. Oh, that's the other thing is people want to take it untimed. They're like, I just want to nope. know what's on there. No, take it no. timed. See what it's like. Yep. Don't worry about trying to finish the sections. Just spend 35 minutes working on it diligently. Do that four times in a row. Correct it. 
figure out your LSAT score. You've got 81 more of those tests out there. If you want to do better next time, I'm sure you will do better next time, but you, the, you're, you're just not really doing the LSAT until you do the LSAT. Yeah. Right. I mean, you have to do a test. It's a test. You have to do the test. Yeah. Otherwise you're not doing it. So you can read theory or you can do practice questions. You can do untimed. Okay. Except that it is a real, it is a timed test. So if you're not doing it timed, then you're just not doing it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, cold diagnostic, uh, or I don't do full tests in my classes anymore. I do, but I do lots and lots and lots of 35 minute sections. Yeah. And yeah, we're diving in on, I had a first night of my class in LA last night and we dove in and did two sections last night and we'll do two more tonight. Yeah. So, um, yeah, those kids, even if they were brand new studying, they would have completed a full test immediately right off the bat. First week of class. Yeah. Okay, good. Cool. I'm glad we're on the same page on that. Uh, you want to read the next one? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. This is from Ben who, uh, is in my class. If I remember which Ben this is from. Yeah, I think so. Hey, Ben and Nate, one earbud in Excel sheets open. One of Nate's pearls of wisdom resonated quote, fuck your job, get fired. The LSAT's more important. (laughs) This is good. He says at the end of the day, my boss called me into his office to discuss his concern (laughs) over quote, a precipitous drop in my work performance since late July. You know, if your boss uses the word precipitous, um, your boss should start writing questions for the LSAT. Your boss is like <laughs> prime, prime material for these uh, contract positions. Uh, that is that is great. He says, I started seriously studying for the LSAT in late June. Thanks for the dope podcast. Please say my name on the air. Ben. All right, Ben. Good job. Yeah. I'm glad you're out there doing the bare minimum at your job and uh, listening to the podcast and uh getting getting yelled out by your boss it sounds like you are getting close to getting fired here if your boss is telling you that there's been a precipitous drop in your work performance but um yeah for real you the lsat if you're if you're seriously going to be a lawyer then the lsat is uh should be at the top of your agenda right now yeah you know sometimes it's interesting i get uh people who are preparing for the test and they say Hey, I just got a job promotion, so now I'm not going to have as much time to study. And my my thought is always the same: like, uh, that's good that you got a job promotion. Congratulations! Um, now you're going to be a lot more busy, apparently, and thus not have as much time to study. But what's your end goal here? You're going <laughs> to yeah. quit that job if you're really going to go to law school. You got to quit that job sometime soon, and then you're going to go off into a totally different career. In most cases. Um, who cares, right? Like, why Why are you taking on this responsibility um, maybe to boost your resume a little bit? I think sometimes people think, like, oh, it's going to help my application. Yeah, but now if you don't have no. time to study for the LSAT and you get even one or two points lower, you've just hit your application in a very bad way. Um, yeah. So, anyways. Yeah, it... it your same goes for like internships and all this oh, stuff. Oh, internships are worse, gonna, right? Because yeah. it's like you're working for free for someone who's just trying to get around, like paying people 
um, a lot. Because you think it looks good on your resume for your application for law school? Yeah. No, no. Mm. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So thanks, Ben. I'm glad glad you like that pearl. Um, And thank you for flaking out on your job and uh, studying for the LSAT instead. Love to hear that. All right. um, Next one. Maybe a topic for a future podcast. I am a non-traditional student. Post-undergrad, my last three years have been spent working for a Japanese automotive supplier. To be frank, I'm not satisfied with my career and dislike the company culture. I want to GTFO ASAP. (laughs) You might need to know a little bit about English to figure out what just happened. (laughs) I love... Oh, I meant to point out actually earlier... Rob, I never, I didn't read Rob's email. Rob was the one who got the urgent email from the LSAC. Yeah. And he said, do they send this all caps subject line email each test cycle? I've been staring at my photo for two minutes, JFC. And that was the end of the the email. (laughs) I laughed very much at the JFC. That's funny. Good job, Rob. That's fantastic. Um, And then, uh, yeah, so... Hodor busts out the GTFO ASAP. Uh, that's also amusing. Thank you. Thank you, listeners, for being amusing. Yeah. And especially when you're profane and amusing. That's my favorite. Um, that being said, I intend to give between two weeks and indefinite notice, depending on my company's needs. I am on good terms with my boss and fellow colleagues. Fellow colleagues? I also understand that turnovers can be a sensitive topic for both employee and employer, especially for Japanese management. Lastly, I value job flexibility and recognize that the income generated now will be important for my future JD. Uh, okay. I mean, money in the bank is good. Yes, that's for sure. Uh, depending on my performance and readiness this, this, this September slash December, I will apply 2017, 18 or the following cycle. Given my current situation, I can one leave ASAP, find another job slash free time for LSAT studying or two endure the pain a little longer and continue balancing work slash study. Either way, my last three years here will be a part of my law school application. Um, sure. Yeah, of course. It's going to be definitely on your resume. Hopefully you're getting a letter of recommendation. I would think from these people. Um, question one. Should I ask my boss for a letter of recommendation before or after I announce my leave? Question two. I currently have one confirmed letter finished with the second potential second being my employer. As I have been out of college for a few years, I do not have many other professors that would be able to write meaningful letters of recommendation on my behalf. What can I do outside of work to find a third or fourth LOR writer? And that is from Hodor. You got any advice, Ben? Well, um, so I guess we have to go back to the options, right? Option one or two. Leave ASAP to find another job slash free time for LSAT studying. Endure I like that plan. If you're not satisfied with your career and you don't like the culture. Yeah. And you want to GTFO. Why don't you just GTFO? Yeah. I think I think there's a case to be made for either one of these. I mean, part of me also just says, well, just coast because I don't think you're going to get that much of a benefit by having your 
you know, your life totally free to study for the LSAT because you can still only study so much every day. So, like, if you coast and that helps pay the bills and you just leave promptly when work is finished and go study, you don't have to worry about looking for another job. Um, I mean, it kind of depends, too, on if this person is planning to apply this cycle or next. He said that you might apply next cycle. In that case, it's maybe too long to drag it all out. But I guess I don't necessarily see a problem with just like kind of checking it off, going to work in the day and then going at night. You you don't have to worry about looking for a new job or anything like that. You can just study. Yeah, I like that plan too. I mean, he's getting paid. Um, He could continue to get paid. Mm -hmm. He could continue. He could do, you know, just do the job, but don't really try to do anything more Mm -hmm. and keep studying an hour a day for the LSAT until you're ready. Yeah. That's, that's not, that's not that bad of a deal. The only, the only thing that's a little concerning why I agree with you maybe on number one is the, the dislike, the company culture that, that makes the job hard, even if it's like an okay job, you know, I think a big part of your job is who you interact with every day. And if that's demoralizing, it's maybe it is better just to get out of there. And even if you get like a, a low paying job, if it's with people, it's kind of fun to hang out with, then you could leave work energized and do better with your LSAT studying. Yeah. He's, if he's talking about enduring the pain and he's talking about doesn't, doesn't like the culture wants to get the fuck out then. Yeah. I mean, life's short. Yeah. I'm a generally a big advocate of quitting things. If things don't seem like they're working out, there's probably something better around the corner. Yeah. And if the next thing doesn't work out, you can quit that too. So, you know, some of the ways that you find what you're really meant to do or what not meant to do, not like I believe in that shit, but find what, you know, find a better thing for yourself is to quit the things that suck Mm -hmm. and spend your time doing things that are, you hope you think are going to be better. So it seems like Hodor is trying to do this with the JD, which is great, but you know, you're not starting law school until at least 2018, you've got a full year in between now and then. Yeah. Uh, at the, at the least, if you, that's, if you apply this upcoming cycle, you're not starting law school until 2018. And that's a long time. A year is a, is a a long time to be suffering at some job that sucks. Yeah. So it's a trade-off. Of course, they pay you for a reason. (laughs) Yeah. But there are other places where you could get paid maybe less or maybe more, who knows? Mm-hmm. And and might like it a lot better. Yeah. What do you think about the letter of rec- it seems like the letter of recommendation issue if you're going to have your boss write you that letter, but if you think you're going to leave soon, I don't know, you either have to have a really frank discussion with your boss and see if, you know, they're going to hate you. Yeah. I think or I would doc- get the letter before you leave. I would say I mean, because he's not applying necessarily for a long time. So it seems like if he asks for the letter, gets the letter, and then leaves on bad terms because it was, like, surprising or whatever, then the boss could simply rescind that and say, hey, I'm not going to endorse this letter anymore. I don't know. It just seems like I would be open about it. Say, hey, I, I... I mean, he's been there for three years, so I don't see any problem with leaving. 
Like it's not like you were there and then you left. Um, you've been there for a while and now you're like, hey, you know what? I'm actually probably going to end up leaving in the uh, next month or so because <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm getting work at another place. Um, it's been wonderful working here. And in fact, I'm applying for law school and I was hoping that you, my esteemed boss, my mentor, <laughs> <laughs> could write me a letter of recommendation. And uh, if not, then you don't really want him writing it anyways. So Right, right, right. He says he's on good terms with his boss and fellow colleagues, but then he also says that he dislikes the company culture, which makes me – those two things seem t- slightly at odds. Well, I wonder it's if possibly – yeah. I, I just wonder if he's on as good of terms as he thinks he is. But Oh, yeah. Or he could just – I mean maybe why it's so painful is that he's basically living a different life there, right? Like he's nodding and laughing at all the things. Well, he's that, playing the game. Yeah, but it's just painful. He's not living his best life. Yeah, it's not, it doesn't actually jive with him, but who yeah. knows. There's so much we can deduce from your emails, everyone. Yeah, so. <laughs> I know. I'm not sure how helpful this whole discussion is. How about this other question? What He's been out of college for a few years. Uh, what can he do outside of work to find a third or fourth letter of recommendation writer? He's got to get one from his school, right? Some Don't they require at least one from a professor? Sounds like he already has one. And oh. then potential second is going to be the employer. But then he says he doesn't have many other professors that would be able to write meaningful letters of recommendation. So what can I do outside of work to find a third or fourth letter of recommendation? I don't think you – well – Do you need one? Do you need a third or fourth? I don't know that you need a – you don't need a fourth. You might need a third. Some schools you need a third. Yeah. Yeah. Get another job. (laughs) Yeah. Reconnect with a a professor that you got an A from – Go back and have coffee with them. Send them an email. Maybe yep. they'll be, maybe they'll be game. Professors are used to writing letters of recommendation. Yeah. Um. I don't know. That's a tough one. Yeah. Uh. Okay. Thanks, Hodor, for writing in. Yeah. You want me to take this one? Yep. Okay. Uh, I was expelled from a public university in 2012 and joined the military for four years. After I separated honorably, I was readmitted into a far more prestigious university than my original one, ranked in the top 10 in the nation. Okay. Uh, I am curious how this unfortunate event will uh, impact my admissions. I have a 3.65 GPA, take the LSAT in September, have been scoring between 168 and 172 on proctored exams. I have a lot of other factors that are positive and an outstanding military record in addition to letters of rec from public officials. My goal is a T-14. Just curious if I could get some feedback. About also, what? <laughs> wait, what did you say? About what? Uh, well, I think it was this original question, right? I'm, I'm curious how this unfortunate event will impact my admissions. I don't oh, think Oh, sorry, it, sorry. I forgot. I, the event... Oh, because you were expelled? Well, but we have no idea why you were expelled. Yeah. I don't know. Um, Let me put in a pitch here for Anne Levine's law school admission game. Um, She just released a new version of the book. Uh, I think it's edition three, and it's on Amazon, and it's $10 or $15. And if you want to know what to do because you got expelled, uh, that book's going to have some information in there 
Um, you also might need to get professional help. I don't, this is outside of my area of expertise. Yeah. I think the general okay. rule is though you, you, ex- you explain what happened and you don't try to hide anything cause it's going to, yeah. they're going to figure it out. So yeah, you're, you're going to explain it <clears throat> and in, in a humble and, um, positive manner, you're going to talk about what happened and how you are now better for it. You're not going to be blaming. Um, you're not going to be hiding it. You're not going to be trying to act like you were not at fault. You're going to accept whatever happened and you're going to talk about how you moved forward from it. Yep. So anonymous continues with another question. I also found out that I got approved for accommodated testing. I will receive 53 minutes on each section of the exam. That's time and a half. So I can probably score even higher than what I initially forecasted 168 to 172. Do you have any advice for those who are studying with additional time? Yes. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yes. First of all, you will score higher. You should. If you're not, then um, you're not reviewing properly. Second, uh, you should practice with 53 minutes, not 35 minutes when you do time sections. And I would uh, do uh, the five sections back-to-back because accommodated test takers nowadays get – the experimental section. Uh, a little while ago, they did not, but now they do. So you're going to have to do five 53-minute sections um, in one sitting with a 15-minute break between the third and fourth section. That can be a little. That can be a pretty long test. Uh, it's even more crazy if you get 70 minutes, which is double time. So what do you think? Uh, this person will probably end up doing very well. Yeah, like 180. Yeah. I mean, this is if you're already scoring 168 to 172 in 35 minutes, then 53 minutes is going to be just ridiculous. So this is going to end up being an accommodated 99th percentile score. Uh, yeah. I would almost guarantee that. Yeah. You have 18 extra minutes to chill out, rethink things. It's going to be extraordinarily helpful in the games. Um in any case, we'll stop making take, other people pissed. <laughs> take take full advantage of it, and um, please go do good in the world, not evil, with this amazing benefit you're being granted. Yes. Um, this is an example of accommodations just clearly not leveling the, play, the playing field. That is, you're already scoring 90... Jesus, 90... 7th percentile? Yeah, it's 96 to 90. 90s. Yeah, 96 to 98. That's that's uh, Anonymous's range. So you're already scoring better than uh, 19 out of 20 people at least. And now you're going to get time and a half. Um, yeah. We've talked about this on the show a lot before. It is very hard for me to see how that's fair in any normal sense of the word, maybe in a lawyer sense of the word, you can make anything mean anything you want, but that just doesn't seem fair to me. Um, I don't think it's anything that like people studying for the test should really worry about, but this is a problem I think that needs to be solved. It's a very sticky problem. uh, What's going on with accommodations right now on the LSAT, but uh, anonymous here. You know, I would just say, um, please do good with this. Do not go out and be a dick. 
go make the world a better place with this crazy advantage you're being granted. And congratulate congratulations on getting it. I mean, I would if you can get it, you should go get it. But um, that's just for you individually. It's a huge leg up. That's awesome. Good luck. Yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm not blaming you for taking it. Um, yeah. <clears throat> that's part of the game. That's just, like not uh, taking a tax break. If you can get it, get it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. If you want to pay extra taxes, then you know, that's fine, I suppose. But if you if you qualify for whatever deduction, take the deduction. Of course, take the deduction. Yeah. So here, sure, anonymous, take the extra time and um, recognize how lucky you are to have it and uh, go do something good with it. Sweet. All right. Next one. It's uh, says work during law school. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I'm going to keep this, uh, sorry, I'm going to try to keep this super short. If you read this on the show, it's okay to use my name, but please redact the name of the school I wish to attend. All right. This isn't an LSAT question, but it's something I would love to get your opinions on. I currently work full-time in a sales slash contract administration position. Amongst other schools, I'm applying to the secret school for the fall of 2018. SS is my preferred school, and they have both part-time and full-time programs. I'm debating which program I should apply to, and I can't apply to both. Why would schools not let you apply to both? That's kind of dumb. This doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's weird. Why wouldn't it just be like a joint application? That's dumb. For financial reasons, I'll need to continue working in some capacity while in law school. Is it crazy to try to work part-time while attending law school full-time? What about working full-time while attending law school part-time? I'd prefer to do the former so I can finish school in three years. Um, uh, I don't think it's uh, really advisable. I mean, people do it. Uh, people who really have their... To work part-time while going to school full-time. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking when you work, When you go to school part-time, almost everyone is working full-time, so that's the norm. Yes. But when you're going yes. to school full-time... Most people are not working uh, at all, and if you even do try to work part-time, they will cap it at uh, 20 hours a week, I believe. it's. I think it's like an ABA rule or something. It is. It, 1Ls are not allowed to work more than X hours per week. I'm not sure what the limit is, but it's for sure 1Ls, you're not supposed to work more than a certain number of hours. You could always, I mean, I did just work as much as I wanted. I was like starting my business. And I didn't, you know, it's not like they cared. It's not like they were checking up on me or anything. I was just sitting in the back of the class, like literally working on my business instead of paying attention to the boring lectures. Um, But uh, this seems pretty clear to me. My advice is go to law school part time. Mm -hmm. Finishing law school in four years instead of three years. What's the who cares? Yeah. What's the difference? And and here's the thing. If you do end up going full time. You, you really just don't want to work because if you get lower grades because you're working, right. now you're like shooting yourself in the foot for your career. Right. Uh, I understand if, if uh, you need money now, that's not an uncommon problem. So then you should probably go part-time like you're saying. Yeah, and if you go part-time, then everyone else is going to be working full-time. And when everyone else is working full time, then they have less time to devote to trying to kick your ass in the academic competition. Yeah, you could do part time, part time. That'd be, I, or even just work full time. I mean, and and make money. Like I, I feel like part time students are going to do a much better job of compartmentalizing law school and 
putting it kind of in perspective and not being so insane about the whole process. Yeah. Full-time students, you get all these kids who are straight out of undergrad and they don't have a job at all. And mom and dad are, they're still on like the dole, you know, Mm -hmm. and from mom and dad and they just have nothing to do except for study all the time. Yeah. And if you're trying to work while they're doing that, you're going to be in trouble. But if you go part-time, then you're going to be shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of people just like you mm-hmm. who have been working full-time. They know what it's like to actually have a job. <laughs> and they it's like this is a different perspective, I think, in older students. Mm-hmm. And I, I absolutely think you can work full-time and, and attend law school part-time. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, okay, it's one year longer, but eh, it's going to go by in a flash. I mean, it, law school just goes by it's over before you know it. I mean, I was absolutely miserable, but I, it went, you know, in retrospect, it's like, Oh, did I really, did it make any difference if I waited another year? Mm -hmm. No difference. Yeah. And that is from Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah. Uh, should we have time for one more? I have time for one more. Yeah. Okay. So this is from Kyle. Kyle says, Ben, I have a question about maintaining a healthy state of mind during the test. You and Nathan have discussed state of mind. Okay, and to slowly approach each question and be critical of the message and especially the answer choices. Definitely be critical of the message. Um, Yeah, okay, and of the answer choices, that makes sense. I also remember Nathan talking about how he recommends taking a deep breath when the section starts and watching everyone else scurry to begin a rushed attempt to complete the section quickly. I feel very good when I think that I've understood the flaw and predicted the answer or or quickly found a few key deductions in a game. I can feel very proud, assume that I've figured out the important bits, and then miss another important aspect of the question or game. Okay, sometimes in LR I may go through several questions after the first 10. Felt I easily found the CR. I have no idea what that means. Okay, Uh, maybe the problem. Uh, and read the following questions less thoroughly, resulting in some silly errors. Do you have a few general pieces of advice for maintaining a cool, even keel throughout the test? What has worked for you and your successful students? Feel free to read on the podcast and use my name, Kyle. Um, yeah, what do you say? Um... Here's the idea that I'm obsessed with lately. I can't stop talking about this to students. And I I don't know if I talked to you about it two weeks ago, but I'm obsessed with the idea that the, that I actually do an easier version of the test. I think I do the test in a different like dimension from everyone else. And what I mean is, um, I, understand that half of the test, the bulk of the test, it's this big, long test, right? It's everybody's worried about the volume on the test. Mm -hmm. It's all, boy, it's so heavy. It's so dense. There's just so much of it, man. Look at all these words. And I'm obsessed with the idea now that half of those words, approximately half of those words are wrong answer choices. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think if you remember this, it might help you to, to, to not get into the answer choices so quickly because 
I spend, and we've talked about this on the show a million times, Ben, we just don't spend very much time with the wrong answer choices. Yeah. We can quickly sift through them. And that's not because we are like magical geniuses. That's because we took an additional moment. It's that one extra moment that separates us from everyone else. We, on a logical reasoning question, we're going to be predicting it correctly. And on a logic game, we're not going to be happy with one or two inferences. We're not going to be patting ourselves on the back. Oh, I'm such a genius for figuring out this one inference. We're going to then take that inference and go back to the other rules and the other inferences that we've made and cycle through again and Mm -hmm. cycle through again Mm -hmm. and see if we can learn anything else and sit there for a moment and see if the picture becomes clearer. And we're going to do all of that before we start messing with the questions on the logical reasoning and reading comprehension. We're going to be making clear predictions at least half the time. And then when we turn to the answer choices, which are the other 50% of the content of the test, we're going to be able to very quickly dismiss the wrong answers without really even, we don't even need to really read them that closely. Mm -hmm. Right? Like you read the first three words a lot of times and you're just like, nope. And, and meanwhile, a student who doesn't really know what they're looking for, or they have a mediocre prediction they end up having to really sit there and digest what turns out to be a wrong answer. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I I love this idea, especially like on the reading comprehension where one column on the page is the passage and then three columns on the page are questions and the questions are largely made up of wrong answers. Yeah. You've, you've really got to like, hold the test, keep it at arm's length, you know, like the Heisman trophy, Mm -hmm. give it like the stiff arm on those answer choices, especially. And just remember that the better your predictions, you're going to be doing an easier version of the test. I swear. I think I actually read less of the test Mm -hmm. because I read the argument better or because I read the passage better then I don't have to read the answer choices so much. Of course, I read every word of the answer I pick, but the four answers that I don't pick, I barely, sometimes barely even look at them. It's just like, well, that's not saying what I want it to say. You're gone. Yeah, you know, that's happened a lot lately where like I will be explaining a question in class and I'll read the first four words of an answer and I'll get to the word any or I'll get to some word like more, right? Which describes a relative relationship. And for whatever reason, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. You know it's wrong in that context because you understood it so clearly that you see that it's just like, well, there's no way they can save this. This can't be the answer now. Yeah. And so then you get to immediately go to the next answer. Well, and this is the thing that happens is I'll be like, uh, yeah, so this is wrong because of more. Or whatever, you know, and then I move on. I'm going through, I'm explaining the rest of the answers and why I'm, what I'm thinking. And then I'll, I'll be, sometimes, um, there's some back and forth, but sometimes I've just kind of plowed through the answers and I'll be like, so what, what answers were we debating? What answers were most tempting? I'm just curious, kind of getting some feedback here. And they'll be like, oh, it was B. It was B, the one that you talked about for like 
five seconds. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even read that entire answer. Yeah, And this absolutely. is the one that you were debating, which means you read the entire thing. Absolutely. You read the correct answer. You went back to this answer. You were stuck between these two. If you want to know where time goes, it goes into these most tempting wrong answers that you might have been able to get rid of if you had more knowledge and a, a better understanding of the test, right? Yep. And of the of the question that they're being that they're asking you. And so when it comes to speed, which is this like perpetual question, you need to understand the test better. Someone actually just wrote me the other day and they said like uh, I'm in like the 150s or something like that. And I wrote him back and I said, well, you really got to get to know the test. You need to know a lot more about the questions you're getting wrong. You need to understand exactly what's going on. And they wrote back and they said, I have a really good understanding of the test. And I just I had to write on my back and said, I'm sorry, don't take this the wrong way, but I don't think you do. It's just, yeah. it's not possible to be scoring in that range Right. And to fully understand the test because otherwise you would get to answer choices like this. You would eliminate them before you even read the entire answer choice and thus not spend yeah. three, four, five times as much time debating answers that we, you and I aren't even considering. I'm not saying we don't consider tempting wrong answers. There certainly are those times where we read the whole thing and we're like, hmm, that sounds pretty good. Maybe this is the answer and it turns out not to be. But yeah. the amount of times you can get rid of that, the better, right? The more you can it's, get rid of that, the better. It, a couple things. It's amazing how how good of a handle on the test the worst students seem to have. Yeah, I mean, it's wow. You know, it's just the best students in the class, the ones who are scoring the highest, they're confused about so much stuff. They keep mm-hmm. asking so many questions all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. The top student in the class is the only one that's asking me questions. Yeah. Wow. What are they? They're such an idiot. Mm-hmm. They just, there's so much they don't get. Yeah. I mean, they're scoring 170. Mm-hmm. But they they still, there's so much that they don't understand. And meanwhile, the student scoring 140, you know, never makes a peep. Yeah. Oh, well, they understand it. They understand it all. It's just that they, they just, they just, uh, they got caught up in the wording though. Yeah. Well, I understand the basics of uh, strength and questions. Or I understand all the different question types. No, I don't think you do, actually. No, yeah, and you don't. The other thing is, uh, talking about top scores, um, is that it is interesting, too, that a lot of times we'll be debating between two answer choices and talking about why one is better than the other. And then the these top scores will say, wait, so if we if we change that word to most, would that make it correct? Would that make it better than the other answer? And sometimes, yeah, like, oh, I think that's that's the kicker. Now this answer might be better. Um, uh, or no, it's still wrong because we have this other word. You know, it's like they're mm-hmm. really digging into this stuff, not yeah. saying, well, I got it right. So I'll let this discussion continue as I look on Facebook. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Check my phone and fuck around. And yeah, it's amazing that like the best students are just not afraid to humble themselves and ask a question um, if they'll, they'll get it right. Yeah. They'll, yeah, get, it they'll right, get it right. And then they'll go, I, I just, I'm not, I can you tell me why 100%. C is wrong? <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, thank you. Thank you so much for asking a good question. Um, I want to get back to the other point, Ben, cause you said it really nicely, which was just, you know, that, that thing of 
reading the first three words of an answer choice and seeing that it's just going the wrong direction and just letting it go mm-hmm. is a critical skill. And that is really like, that's such the difference between us and everyone else. It's like the ability to like walk through walls, you know, that answer choice is this giant obstacle, but you just breeze right through it. You yeah. don't even like, it's just like nothing. It's nothing yeah. because it's already wrong. It's the first three words. And then it goes on and on for another three lines. And mm-hmm. the students are in there trying to save it, right? Mm-hmm. Students are in there like hoping that it's going to become the answer. And we're just like, nope, because it's already wrong. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> and if, if you, if you find that you spend a lot of most, I mean, this is applies to every single person who's listening to the show. Mm-hmm. I, when you find yourself comparing answer choices, going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, it's, that's going to happen sometimes, but it should not be happening very often. You yeah. know, the, the wrong answers most of the time need to just be looking like shit. They're just wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so there's probably something there that you could have, you could have done a little bit better. Well, that's where you can get someone like me or someone like Ben to explain it to you. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah, you, you spent five minutes thinking about that answer choice and we spent two seconds thinking about that answer choice. Yeah. So it is really, it's learning to do an easier version of the test. So I don't know if that helps Kyle that much. It's a little bit conclusory. Uh, I don't know how you, how do you foster that other than just, doing tons and tons of practice and really digging in on uh, your mistakes. Yeah. You know, there is one other thing I wanted to talk about and that is, um, I'm going to have to step back here for one sec and that uh-huh. I just, uh, finished reading the book, uh, shoe dog by Phil Knight, who okay. is the uh, founder or co-founder Nike. of Nike. Yeah. Yep. Oh, it was excellent book. I mean, I, I, oh. I think he's, uh, in his seventies now and he just published it last year. So it's kind of like, let me tell you the history of my life, particularly Nike. And because I think he's older, he just, <laughs> and his personality, he's got a lot of wisdom to share, you know? Like it's a funny uh-huh. story, but he's just got so many random thoughts here and there. And you're just like, yeah. Uh, it's definitely coming from someone who is, been through life, but uh, a highly, I would highly recommend that book to anyone. One of the things that he said in that book, I mean, he, he said, I would say a hundred things that are quotable, but I thought of this one thing uh, when reading this email from Kyle. He said uh, in the book, this is Phil Knight, each of us found pleasure whenever possible in focusing on one small task. One task, we often said, clears the mind. And I thought of that because when I'm going through a test, my job at any given moment, I know I've said this a million times before, but is to answer the question in front of me. I'm not thinking about the last question. I'm not thinking about the next question. And I felt like when Kyle said that sometimes he gets, I mean, he doesn't say this, but it almost sounds like he gets a little cocky or something. Like he, he's realized an inference or something. And it's like, he then, uh, plunges ahead i feel like it's he's losing focus a little bit you know it's like your job at every moment is to understand what's going on and when we go through these answer choices although we're going through them quickly i'm not 
not understanding what those first three words are saying. It's precisely because I'm focused on them and know what they're saying that I'm saying to myself, ah, that's not what we're looking for. Yeah, you're not trying to do the next question before you do this one. Yeah. But you do know that four out of those five answer choices are wrong. And when you go into the answer choices, you're just expecting them all to be wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, I mean, you know, one of them is going to be right, but four of them are going to be wrong. So when you read A, you're like, well, let's see why this is wrong. Mm-hmm. And after three words, it can be wrong, in which case you just immediately start reading B. Mm-hmm. Now, once in a while, you might eliminate all five. If you don't do that every once in a while, you're not doing it right. You do need to probably be eliminating all five every once in a while. Yeah. But you you should that's how you breeze through the answer choices but we're not we're certainly not looking ahead to the next question it's just hey the this is wrong for reasons that's wrong wrong oh yeah that one uh-huh yeah <laughs> and and then it's easy but i'm not that has nothing to do with rushing it's just it has to do with <clears throat> this is the task in front of me this question is the task in front of me mm-hmm. specifically this answer is the task in front of me. And probably my task is to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Right. So if I can just execute this answer for whatever reason, then I can move on to the next one. Yeah. So, yeah, I like that. I like that one task idea. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, well, should we leave it there for today? Yeah. Fantastic. Um, Thanks, everybody, for listening to the show. Uh, really helps us if you go on iTunes and click the five stars or, you know, four stars if you think we didn't do a great job today. Um, you can uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on iTunes or on Stitcher or whatever else you use. You can grab your friend's phone and subscribe them to the Thinking LSAT podcast. Uh, you can promote us to your pre-law organization um, we would appreciate that. What else can people do? Uh, if they want to do us favors. Oh, if they want to do us favors, donate, uh, anything over 30 cents. <laughs> 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 yeah. Less than 30 cents makes us go backward guys, <laughs> but over 30 cents is, is positive forward progress. We'll know right. if there's a lot of uh, negativity out there about what we're doing. <laughs> Now we know that a bunch of smart asses are going to do this now. (laughs) Hopefully the thing doesn't even allow them to do that. Yeah, no, seriously, uh, thanks for listening. You can email us both, help at thinkinglsat.com, and we will add you to the agenda. Um, I think that's it. Any final words, Ben? Yeah, no, that's it. All right, awesome. Talk to you next time. Yep, thanks. See ya.